was sitting in the financial aid office at Walla Walla University waiting to talk to the director. I had been in the previous day to discuss with her how I was going to be able to finance my junior year of college. And the next morning, I had gotten a call saying to come in as soon as possible. So there I was, waiting to talk to her. She came in and she sat down across the desk from me and she leaned in and said, what are your career goals? I said, well, I would like to be a pastor. And she said, okay. What's your backup plan? That shocked me a little bit, but I thought about it, and I answered honestly, I don't have one. A lot of my friends and family, particularly my extended family, thought it was a very impulsive decision to switch to theology. Job security for women in ministry in our church is not great, unfortunately. And they thought that I had gone up to Alaska and hit this spiritual high while spending my first summer as a pastor and that that had pushed me to an impulse decision to switch from a fairly safe future of becoming a high school teacher to the uncertainty of theology. But this was where I was supposed to be and I didn't have a backup plan. There's a character in the Bible that gets a lot of flack for being impulsive, and that would be Peter. <laughs> for those of you that aren't super familiar with Peter, um, here's a little background about him. He was in the first group of disciples called in the Synoptic Gospels. In the Gospel of John, there's a slight difference. He is actually friends or somehow related to one of the people that was John's disciple and is called to Jesus through this friend. But in the three synoptic gospels, he's one of the first group. He is from Bethsaida, which is a town along the coast of the Sea of Galilee. He's the only disciple that we know for sure was married. This comes from Luke 4:38, and the Bible tells us there that he had a mother-in-law. Fun thing about mother-in-laws, you don't get one unless you're married. So he was the only disciple that we have confirmation was indeed married. He was a fisherman by trade, and his partners were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. The story of how Peter was called to Jesus, and this is the story according to the Synoptic Gospels, is very insightful into Peter's personality. In this story, he had already actually met Jesus. Um, Jesus had come over to his house on what appears to be a Sabbath afternoon, and Peter's mother-in-law had been sick, and Jesus healed her. And so we know that there was already a connection 
Later, Jesus was cornered on the Sea of Galilee. He had already been gaining popularity. However, at this point in time, according to the Gospel of Luke, he hadn't actually called his disciples. So he asked Peter, uh, can I preach from your boat? Because it was right there. So Peter said, sure. And Jesus climbed in, and they pushed out from shore, and Jesus preached his sermon. After the sermon... Jesus told Peter to push out from shore a little further and to cast his net again. And Peter argued with Jesus. He said, look, we've been fishing all night. We haven't gotten anything. But then he says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Even though he didn't really trust what Jesus was saying, he trusted Jesus. And he chose to let down his nets anyways. And the Bible tells us that the catch that they pull in is so much that it looks like the boats are starting to sink. And to get an idea of the volume of fish that are in the bottom of this boat, it says that seeing the catch, Peter falls at Jesus' knees. So what this means is there is literally so much fish in the bottom of this boat, Peter cannot fall at Jesus' feet because the fish is all the way up to there. Now on me, I'm a fairly short person, it's a maximum of about two feet. But on the average eight or five foot eight man, that would be closer to two and a half feet of fish covering the bottom of this boat. So Peter falls at Jesus' knees and says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He didn't trust his own worthiness in the presence of Jesus. But what Jesus tells him is, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And so begins... Peter's time as a disciple of Jesus. Also, what begins is Peter's history of impulsive moments. And we're going to go over some because they're kind of funny. And also because it just shows how much Peter seemingly didn't think. <laughs> because he was always talking, usually at the wrong time. <laughs> He was always asking Jesus, explain this, explain this parable, explain this thing you said to the Pharisees. We need an explanation, please. When Jesus asks the group of disciples, who do you think I am? Peter's the only one that answers. He says, well, you're, you're the son of God. That's obvious. When Jesus foretells his death, Peter actually pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him telling him, no, you're not going to die. That's not going to happen. You shouldn't be talking that way. To which Jesus says, actually, yes, I am. <laughs> and throws that rebuke back in Peter's face. On the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible makes it very clear that Peter's talking and he doesn't actually know what he's saying. He just sees this glorious sight, and he starts saying, well, look, we need to build three tents. We need one for you. We need one for Moses. We need one for Elijah. He has no clue what he's saying. He's just talking to fill an awkward silence. When people approach him and ask him 
questions about Jesus and his habits, specifically the Pharisees asking, does your master pay tax? Peter doesn't go and say, uh, let me consult Jesus, I'll find out. He just says, yes, of course he does. To which, when he arrives back at the, uh, the place where they were staying, Jesus says, do I pay tax? Because <laughs> I know you just said I did. So let's talk about this. And that's where the story of Peter going to fish for that one fish that had the amount of money needed for the tax in its mouth. He asks the question, okay, so I have to forgive, but how often do I have to forgive? Like, give me a number. What's the maximum amount of times that I have to forgive someone? He makes the point to Jesus, like, we've left everything. When this is over, what, uh, what are we going to have? In the, at the Last Supper, he says, well, you know, all of my, my companions here, they might deny you, but I won't. I'm not going to do that. And then he says, oh, sorry, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. Nope, that's not happening. And when Jesus says, I have to. Peter comes back, okay, so wash all of me then. If you're going to wash something, wash all of me. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he whips out his sword and just cuts off someone's ear, just like that. He didn't think, he just did. And he follows Jesus to his trial even though it was a dangerous situation, he has to see what's going to happen, and he ends up denying Jesus three times, just like Jesus said. But I think the most powerful story of Peter's impulsiveness is found in Matthew 14. A little context, John the Baptist had just died, and this was a Tough blow for Jesus, not only because John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, but Jesus had also said that John the Baptist was the greatest man to ever live. Jesus tries to go off to mourn by himself, but the crowds find him. He's stopped by people. He ends up preaching to them, and then there's the miracle of feeding the 5,000. And then Jesus sends the disciples across the sea, and he's going to stay, and he's going to dismiss the people. In the middle of the night, Jesus comes walking to the disciples on the sea. And they look, and they see him, and they think, it's a ghost. But Jesus says, don't fear, this, it's me, you know me, I'm not a ghost. And Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus tells him to come, and so Peter jumps out of that boat, and he starts walking on water. And the text seems to indicate that he actually made it to Jesus, or at least within um, an arm's length of Jesus. But then he becomes afraid, and he starts to sink. He calls out to Jesus, and 
Jesus pulls him up out of the water and takes him back to the boat where they make it to land. Peter was impulsive. But there's a reason why Peter was impulsive. It was because Peter was all in. He had decided that he was going to follow Jesus, and so, yes, he was going to do whatever that took. Getting out of the boat and walking on water, let's do it. Washing all of me instead of just my feet, I'm all in, Jesus. You can't just wash part of me, you have to wash all of me. He was crazy on fire for Jesus, and that is exactly what made Peter the leader when Jesus was gone. The fact that he was all in. There's a verse in Psalms, and I think this would have been Peter's theme verse. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Peter made a decision to follow Jesus. He made a decision to leave everything behind, his family, his business. And he didn't have a backup plan. In one of, in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus, is, or when Jesus says, you guys will all leave me tonight, and Peter is trying to emphatically say, no, I'm not going to leave you, what he says in the Gospel of Luke is, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. That night, he wasn't quite ready for that. But the fact of the matter is, Peter ended up going to prison for Jesus. And he ended up dying for Jesus. According to church tradition, Peter was actually crucified. And when he got to the place of his crucifixion, he said, no, I'm not worthy. I can't die the same way my Savior died. Crucify me upside down. It didn't matter that it was going to be so much more painful because Peter had decided that he was going to follow Jesus and nothing could stop him. Not the waves of the ocean, not the threat of prison, not the reality of death. For me, I, um, I had a lot of struggles this past November because I hit interviews and the reality of the statement that I made in my junior year, I don't have a backup plan, hit me full force. I was doing interviews with the conferences here in the Pacific Northwest, and if I didn't get a job, I did not have a backup plan. There was no other option. I hadn't prepared myself for anything besides becoming a pastor, and I was terrified. I went through the interview process, and the third conference that I interviewed with was Upper Columbia Conference. And I gotta tell you, I thought that interview went terribly. There was a lot of 
uncomfortable questions. I <clears throat> forgot myself and actually corrected um, someone's theology. And this was the conference president and vice president that were interviewing me. And there were questions asked that probably shouldn't have been asked, but that I chose to answer anyways. And I thought for sure those answers were dooming me. And I was like, oh, this is going horribly. I'm not going to get a job. I'm going to be one of those people with a fancy degree and no job in my field. At the end of the interview, they looked at each other, and they looked back at me, and they said, we'd like to offer you a job. Honestly, I don't remember a lot of the rest of that interview <laughs> because I was so shocked because it never happens that jobs are offered in the interview. The administrative assistant told me that it, it literally never happens. That's the first time that she's heard of someone being offered a job in their interview. But everything was, it was so surreal and everything went right over my head, the rest of what they were saying. And I got a couple days to pray about it and to talk with my then fiance, now husband about it. And I went to my next interview because I decided I was going to go ahead and finish the interviews. And one of the first questions they asked me was, let's say in six months, you still don't have a job offer, what are you going to do? And for the first time, it didn't matter <laughs> because I had a job offer and I didn't need a backup plan. Following Jesus is so hard. It's so difficult because it's so tempting to make backup plans, to try to control your own destiny. It's so easy to just say, well, I'm following Jesus, but just in case that doesn't work out, I have this over here, and I'll be okay. But the thing about following Jesus is it's so worth it. Because even though you will have times when you are terrified because you don't know what's next, Jesus does. He knows exactly what's next. All you have to be willing to do is to give up the things that you think you need. Those backup plans that aren't actually necessary. It's so worth it to be all in for Jesus. Are you ready to be all in for him? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you are guiding us, that you have plans for us, ways for us to successfully make it through this life that we have no clue what they are. I'd like to ask that you guide each of us. Help us to make that decision to be all in, no matter the cost, because it's so worth it. Because you will be with us and you will guide us. Impress each of us with that reality today. Thank you for your love.